the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach. Mark, it's good to be together again. Yes. Uh, our last two episodes were interesting. I got kind a lot of, of feedback. Su- kind of a surprise. Yes, kind I of. I think. A, yes, I think so too. I think, I mean, when, when we sat down, we had a path that we were going to take. And then I started making some confessions. Uh, yeah, you've been reflecting on your time at Paznaz. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to uh, put words in your mouth, um, but your reflection was? Yeah, that perhaps um, during my time in Pasadena, that while I was internalizing a lot of the pain, and, and as I said, uh, pastors should not be doormats, um, I you know was experiencing a, a, a lot of pain uh, over controversy around my gender. And I was working that out in the pulpit. I was working my pain and my hurt and my sense of rejection and loss and anger. I was working out it out in the pulpit and at times um, taking it out on the people that I was called to nurture and care for. There's a, that's, that's a big deal to say that out loud. I think a lot of pastors might think that or fear that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that a lot of folks, a lot of pastors would say that out loud. But I don't think it's an unusual thing. Yeah. I don't think it's spoken much. Yeah. Um, and I think in textbooks on preaching, you're kind of warned against it. But, yeah. um, uh, and I shared my story of one of my parishioners uh, saying to me, why are you so angry? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I was with him this last weekend, by the way. <laughs> and I told him he made it to the podcast. I didn't name his name, and uh, that was a way for me to compel him to listen. So he did, and he doesn't remember telling me that. He doesn't remember it at Too all. Funny. Too but funny. I said, "Oh, I remember it because it was a hard word to hear." Right. So that was uh, quite the confession, and as unusual or as transparent as it was, I think if pastors were honest, uh, we would all acknowledge that at times we have. Um. We have, we have not been, how can I say it? At times we have vented more than preached. Is that all right to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think that sometimes we've got some things that, that we want to say to that one person that said that oh, terrible yeah. thing to us. And so we try to correct it in the pulpit. My dad preached a sermon one time and, and he was really, he was really mad at the congregation. I don't remember what for. And a good board member after the sermon went up to my dad and said, um, and kindly said, um, I'm thinking you're probably feeling better now, aren't you, Roy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens. And, I, you know, Mark, I have had the luxury of, if you will, sitting down for two and a half years. Uh, yeah. It's not that I stopped ministry entirely, mm-hmm. but in many ways I was kind of benched. And I, I had that luxury to reflect and you, to grow. 
you you were benched. That's what you just said. <laughs> That's maybe not benched. But the, but I mean I Wow. I mean I'm not arguing. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. You you were benched. That kind of reveals your understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that anybody else, and I'm not sure that's even fair and to that, you. And I don't even mean like as in a punishment as an, as kind a punitive, of way. Just no, but... just a, I think I think it was a season I needed to sit down. Time out. I needed some time out. I needed to pause. I was in a liminal space. I needed to make sense of why Pasadena was so hard, right. why it was so painful, um, and I knew going into that season that I was not just going to point the finger back at the church. Okay. So have you, has, have you had any responses to last week's episode? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I've had responses from people. Um, uh, one, one individual from Pasadena, in fact, reached out and, and it was a very kind message. Uh, he said, I see you. And I wish there was something that we could have done to stop all of the pain that you navigated. Hmm. Um, yes. So, okay. So you, you, one of the things you've said in these podcasts and past podcasts was none of it was wasted. Nothing was wasted. Nothing was wasted. That's, that's kind of a claim for redemption and all of it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, what if, uh, what if the Lord is working out our salvation by calling us to ministry? What if the what if the very things we kick against is God's forming us into um, persons uh, that are Christ-like? Let me let me say it differently. What if the call is salvific for us and not simply salvific for others? Yeah, I I think that's possible. For pastors, I think, you know, you remarked several months ago how you wonder where you would be on Sundays if you weren't a pastor. Right. Um, you wonder how much you would be seeking seeking the Lord in prayer, right. reading in Scripture. Um, I I do believe that's possible. I and it begs also though another uh, side to that. For some pastors. Do they allow the fueling of the ego to deform them away okay. from the likeness of Christ? Okay, so the pastorate can be formative or deformative. It can. Depending on, uh, depending on your response, depending on your perspective, depending on who you think you are. Right. right. So what if I'm a pastor, not because I have it all together and have such great spiritual insight and are so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. What if I'm not a pastor for those reasons? Right. Because because I'm this exemplary model. Right. What if I'm a pastor because God knows that's the only way he's going to get me in, into his kingdom? What if I'm a pastor because the Lord knows that apart from the call to pastoring, we would not be followers of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, it's not my, it's not my ability. It's not my... Um, it's not me having it all together that is the reason for my call. Right. It's me. It's it's because I so don't have it together. 
So and that's a big deal. So I am f fully convinced that the Lord called me into the ministry because he knew I needed to be in the ministry to be a follower of Jesus. And I may be selling myself short there. I think I'd probably still be a follower of Jesus, but I certainly would not be a follower of Jesus the way I am as a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, by virtue of my responsibility for others, I have to be more. And it's not, I'm not a mercenary. Um, it's not unlike parents who recognize when they have children, the gravity of their behavior as parents. They have liberties when there's no kids in the house and they're not being disingenuous, but all of a sudden who they are takes on more weight and more importance because children are watching them. I don't know a parent that doesn't think more seriously about who they are after having children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say, that, that maybe the call is salvific for us and not simply for others. And our perspective of ourselves as needing the vocation to, to save us would perhaps help us navigate the difficulties of ministry. Sure. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So, so are you, do you feel like you're a better follower of Jesus Christ subsequent to Paznaz than you were before? I do. I do. I think that though I went through the fire, though I experienced pain, God didn't waste that suffering. God didn't waste that fire. God didn't waste that pain and matured me in ways that I don't know I would have matured otherwise. Yeah, and, and that's, not, that's not to say anything other than what is, mm -hmm. what is the way. We're in season three, and um, our intention is to link our practice with theological convictions. So we started with incarnation mm -hmm. and what that meant for pastoral ministry. And uh, we talked about presence. Mm -hmm. um, we, we talked about personhood. We talked about sin in the context of incarnation. Um, and we're moving into soteriology. And um, I think our conviction is that uh, the process of salvation is supposed to be formative, right? That's so right. Um, the call is forming us into Christ-likeness um, by virtue of the responsibility and tasks that we have to fulfill as pastors. Yes. Yes. And the very difficult time you had at Paznaz was formative for you. You you know, you could have gone in a different direction. You could have said nuts to this. You could have become embittered. Yeah. You could have you could have gone down the I'm a victim road. You didn't do that. Mm -mm. I mean, so the call kept you. Mm -hmm. uh, what if the call, I'm going to say, I'm going to keep repeating myself. What if the call is salvific? What if the very things that we think are impediments or aggravations or frustrations or what if the hurt is salvific? Mm -hmm. um, if, if, if salvation is about formation, then the very things we sometimes kick against may be the th things that are making us most Christ-like. Right. Right. And again, I think, I think if we are truly responding to the call for all the right all the right reasons, meaning 
if we are in ministry, if we are pastoring um, to fuel our egos, if we're in ministry uh-huh. for the platform, if we're in ministry to be the smartest person in the room, if we're in ministry um, to be an exemplar for exemplar's sake. Okay. Um, or if we're in ministry because we think that they need a savior. Um, yes. And we are that. Then I think perhaps those moments of, of fire can be formative. But, well, I guess as, I, as I'm thinking out loud, I think that they would even more so be formative because, I mean, that ego within us is... My, my ego shrunk. Let me tell you what. My ego shrunk coming out of Pasadena. Um, going into Pasadena, Mark... There was a lot of attention around that. There was a lot of attention around that, being the first female of a large church uh, in our denomination. Um, There's a lot of attention in 2017 that I was named the youngest female pastor of a large church. Uh, There's a lot of it, you know, and so I, I think, I don't know how much I trust myself. I don't know. If Paz Naz would have just gone like explosively well, uh, I don't know where my ego would be. I so, don't know. so when I went to Belleville, the Church of Twenty Six, um, one of the reasons I went there was because I was aware of my inclination to pride, mm. and one of the things that I never forgot. Uh, was out of Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest. And this it's, it was this phrase, God is at perfect liberty to waste you. Said Oswald Chambers, God is at perfect liberty to waste you. <laughs> and so um, one of the reasons we stayed in Belleville for 23 years and simply had, and I, as I said this, we didn't never had exponential growth. We just grew gradually over the 23 years, um, but not spectacularly. Um, one of the reasons I had to stay there was because I had to be willing for God to waste me, hmm. which is really ironic because Belleville first saved me, mm-hmm. being among those people, and uh, and they 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 allowed me to figure out how to pastor. They were gracious and kind. They were a church that gave me room to make mistakes, and they allowed me to recover. Um, they didn't hold grudges. Um, what I thought was my great sacrifice in this little tiny church in Southern Illinois where I never wanted to be, uh, that turned out to be um, who introduced me to the life of Christ. Now, entering into a Roman Catholic uh, school with a spirituality that uh, less is more, that that exalt the Mother Teresa's, um, and not the, uh, not the. Richard John Newhouse writes in his book: Nobody knows who was pastoring the mega churches when Saint Francis was preaching to uh, the lepers. Mm. Wow! So being a part of uh, that spirituality was also helpful to me. Sure. So. Um, 
early on we talked about um are these bad actors or is the system creating this yeah um perhaps celebrity pastors are being victimized by their celebrity and perhaps the things that we think are the least helpful to us are the most helpful maybe our critics are the ones saving our souls and not the ones who laud us yeah so the point of this podcast is to help pastors reframe the difficulties in their ministry mm-hmm. in ways that in a, in a way that would lead them to interpret this particular hurt or event as salvific and not simply an obstacle yeah And again, that not that God would cause that. No. But it's that God doesn't waste those moments. And if God doesn't waste those moments, then how do we not waste those moments? How do we not how do we allow even those painful moments um, be formative? How do we lean into those uh, to shape us? So the humbling experiences are leading us to Christ. Yeah. If we let it. If we let it. If we don't if we don't insist mm-hmm. on being honored and respected. Right. So a uh, uh, pastor of a large church in Valparaiso, Indiana, told me that they don't have special parking places. He parks the he it's a big old parking lot and he every Sunday parks his car in the last spot mm-hmm. on purpose. And walks the longest, longest you can, the farthest of anybody. And he's embracing Christ's command to humble yourself. Yeah. Um, at any meal, one of my practices is to um, eat last. I don't mm-hmm. think it's unusual. I think a lot of pastors do that. Mm-hmm. But I intentionally as hard as I can not hit sit at the head table and I sit at a table with everybody else and I make sure I'm eating I'm the last one served mm-hmm. um, as as a protection and as a practice everything that we do is is a practice that can shape us I mean that's a formative practice for you so yes and um, another formative practice for the, because you know we're in the pulpit mm-hmm and um, we're not immune to the praise of people. Right. Right? Um, so another practice that I began just this year was we have a cafe in our church. It's across the street from Olivet's campus. And we, as a ministry of the church, serve coffee to college students. It's a really cool cafe. Uh, Debbie, is, Debbie runs the show. We have 10 volunteers who take morning and afternoon shifts all week long, and we serve pastries and Cookies and good coffee and coffee. It's really a, good coffee. It's a local barista. Yeah. Uh, so it's we serve a local. We 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 uh, serve a local barista coffees, a local barista's coffee, and um, we open at eight. Now I've begun the day uh, this last year for the first time in ministry, uh, in the sanctuary for forty five minutes in prayer every morning. So from seven thirty eight fifteen, I'm in the sanctuary praying. Before that, um, I get the church at seven and as a matter of 
again, devotion, I set up the cafe. I make the coffee, I get the the sugar. And so it takes me 20 to 30, well, 15 to 20 minutes to prepare the cafe. So I do that kind of mean, quote unquote, menial labor every morning to prepare my heart for the time of prayer. Wow. Um, and that comes from uh, my understanding of the monastics who did not think that physical labor was indifferent to spiritual formation. Hmm. Physical labor was was mandated as part of their spiritual formation. So um, every morning I go in and I, you know, clean the kitchen up and I put the coffee out and make the coffee and set it all out so it's all ready for our hostesses, our hosts to come in and it's all ready. And then I go in the sanctuary um, and it's really, really good for me to do that. Hmm. It's really good for me to do that. Um, and probably not many people know that you do that. Well, unless they listen crud, to the podcast now, now. they're going to know. Now they're going to That's not why I said it. Yeah. I didn't say it for that. I did. Right. I said it because um, of the, that is, that is part of, that is part of my formation as a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's, well, how hard is it? I mean, 20 minutes, big deal. What a big sacrifice that is. Oh, how impressive that is that you will get me coffee or that's, I mean, I'm not there. This is this this is the least I could do is make coffee for college kids. Right. How hard is that? What an important practice, though, because as you said, uh, pastors receive a lot of praise um, after a sermon. And pastors, I think, can be tempted to create these little kingdoms around in which they are the center where they are served where they are treated special because, well, after all, we're serving you through our sermons. And right. so we ought to be at the center, the ones being served, the one. And I've, I've been in these cultures. Um, there's green rooms. And in those green rooms is all the fine food and drinks between sermons, uh, between when the pastor is preaching. And, um, but you do the opposite. Jesus didn't say, allow yourself to be humbled. Yeah. Jesus said, humble yourself. Wow. And um, so, so the reason I was in Belleville for those years was because that was uh, me embracing humble yourself. Um, because I'm, in, I'm not, because I'm inclined to think too highly of myself. Hmm. For sure. Um, what if the call is intended to save us and the things we kick against are the very things that could save us the most? Mm -hmm. And in addition, what are the practices that we are doing or aren't doing that are either forming us or deforming us? Um, what are they? Because, I mean, as you're talking, Mark, I'm taking an assessment of my practices. I'm convicted. Oh, um, <laughs> no, but it's just in a, in a good way. You know, I think that all pastors, like, we need to assess the practices uh, that are forming us as pastors. Um, I, I tell you what, though, one, one practice I'm not giving up is, is my husband drops me off at church every Sunday. Because I wear How stilettos. Sweet. Because I wear stilettos. Oh, and so, I, I don't blame you there. Uh, the thought right? of the thought of being the last parking lot no, no, in stilettos. No. I, I can't. I can't. So, <laughs> so, so my husband. So, 
Um, so have him park in the very last spot. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happens. He does. He does. Uh, uh, but no, really, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I, like, I think that pastors really need to take an inventory around the cultures that we create within our churches and around the practices uh, that we are doing that are forming us. So all of this is leading us to our next Next conversations, several conversations for season three, which is on soteriology. Uh, we've been reflecting on the things that we are surrounded with, the th- things that we intentionally surround ourselves with or practices, um, and how that forms us and how that saves us. And so, so Mark, we've, we're going to do some digging in on that. And we're going to look at whether or not our practices are in harmony with what we believe about salvation. Um, It occurred to me early on, and this will be for the next podcast, that how I was doing church was not affirming of what I believed about salvation. And so uh, we want to think hard about how it is God is saving us and the practices uh, that are salvific. And it just may be that the reason God has called those he's called into ministry is for their salvation as well. That the responsibilities and tasks of being a pastor is precisely what is supposed to form us into Christ-likeness. Well, and when you think about kind of an ecclesial view of of pastoring, we need all the gifts. We need the prophets. We need the evangelists. We need the teachers. We need the preachers, meaning you have gifts that I don't have that I need that shape me and form me, that edify me, that equip me, that nurture me in my faith. And I'm surrounded every single week Uh, when I stand up to preach or when I stand up um, and sing songs, uh, the people that I'm surrounded by have gifts that are lifting me up, Mm -hmm. that are nurturing me, that are forming me. And yes, I happen to have the gift of pastoring. Yes, I happen to have the gift of preaching and teaching. Um, and, And because of the ability to use those gifts, I also happen to be in worship weekend and weekend. Right. And I also happen to be surrounded by people with right. gifts um, and sometimes borrowing on their faith. Yes. Um, sometimes needing to borrow on their prayers, sometimes needing to pause and listen to the prayers of the people and listening to um, the response of reading and hear the people say those things to me. And it's because of the call that I'm there every week right. and I am being nurtured and edified. So the call may be saving us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's keep talking about soteriology. Uh, next week, we're going to reflect on uh, some of the practices that uh, we are implementing um, within our churches, within our preaching, within our methodologies, and how that might be problematic uh, towards a robust understanding of ecclesiology. Yeah, when we t- when we we're talking about soteriology, we're talking about eschatology, we're talking about ecclesiology, 
we're talking incarnation. So uh, while we're kind of segmenting out um, soteriology, what, what's for sure is we can't talk about soteriology without talking about ecclesiology. And we certainly aren't, are not excluding eschatology either. So we, we can't really dissect this so cleanly, but we are going to focus on um, our understanding of God's purpose and salvation and the practices in the church that either uh, undermine what we claim or augment it. And um, yeah, I have a personal story of how I had to come to terms with how my practices were incongruous with what I said I believed about yep. salvation. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And friends, we thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode of The Pastor's Table. Thanks for writing in. Uh, we love hearing from you. Um, talk about encouraging and, and edifying. Uh, sometimes just those messages come in that, that really mean a lot to us. And uh, some of your questions that are coming in uh, really provoke thought. And so uh, whether we address it directly or not, your questions are shaping uh, yes. these conversations. So thanks so much. So if this, if this conversation blesses you, uh, share it with a friend, share it with another pastor. Uh, surely um, we're all surrounded by pastors who feel like they're alone out there. And, and we're doing this because, because we want to, first of all, call pastors to theological integrity and we want to help them understand that they're not alone, that, that the pain that they're feeling, uh, there's others that have felt that too. Uh, and, it is the, it, and, and it is a gift to be called into ministry. Um, we believe that as hard as it is, it's a gift to be called into ministry. And we believe that the church is the redemption of this world led by Christ-like pastors. Amen. So until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you, my friends, and may God sustain you uh, for just another day, uh, one more day of serving and honoring God. Thanks for listening to The Pastor's Table. <laughs>